Thanks for listening to the Park Hills podcast. On this episode, we're going to wrap up Revelation, covering chapters 21 and 22. If you want more information about Revelation or any of the sermon series that we've done or any of the podcasts, that kind of thing, just go to parkhillschurch.com. You will find it all there. Wrapping up Revelation, Chris means that uh, through our preaching and podcasts and blogs, we have completely resolved any and every question you might ever have about the book of Revelation. You are completely satisfied. Yes, exactly. Now, slightly sarcastic. You know, as I preached uh, Revelation 21 and 22, you know, Chris, you came to me and said, hey, maybe maybe that phrase that I cruise over here about David might be one to come back and talk about. So... At the end of uh, Revelation 22, near the end, it says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root of David, and I did say root, let's not, let's understand the proper pronunciations, root with an oo sound in there, not rut, <laughs> uh, or however you say it. Uh, I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. Chris, why, why did you think this might be a good thing for us to circle back around and talk about? Well, it reminded me of when, when we covered the Bible in a year, a couple of years ago, when we did recalculating, do you remember we spent that, that whole time talking about the throne of David and what the, the Davidic promise kingdom, was? Kingdom yeah, the land exactly. Forever. Right. So here's the, the verse that we actually went and used there. And it says, I, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. And so we had kingdom, house, throne, forever was yep. the phrase that we used over and over again in that series. Pastor Larry wanted us to remember that house, kingdom, throne, forever. He'll, he'll be proud as he He listens. will be proud. Hopefully he listens to this and gives us a thumbs up later. If he doesn't give us a thumbs up, then uh, we didn't do it right. So, And, and the, the Davidic <laughs> covenant is significant because it really even we can find it referenced all the way back to Abraham. I mean, Abrahamic covenant really is carried out. The blessings of, blessings of the nations would be accomplished, and, and it comes right through David, doesn't it? Yeah, and this is a, a, a biblical theme that travels all the way from Genesis all the way to the end, and that's why we wanted to bring it up in Revelation, that the, the fact that there would be a throne of David's that has someone sitting on it forever was a promise God made as a fulfillment to what God had promised in Abraham and really what he had promised from the beginning of, of time is that I, I want to bless the earth. I want to bless those that are in the earth. And so we know that the Messiah had to come from the line of David. And so for Jesus to end his phrase in Revelation 22 with the phrase, I am the root of David and the descendant of David says, I am the one that you've all been waiting for. I am the the king. I'm the the Messiah, which then opens up a whole can of worms. The, the idea of Messiah, you know, at the time of Jesus, the, the Jews were waiting for a Messiah to come free them from Rome. That's what they wanted. They wanted the anointed one. Yep. They wanted someone who's going to come and do that. And so there's a bunch of passages that deal with that. You know, Psalm 2 is one of those, Psalm 110, and I'll, I'll read those to you in a second. But the, the fact with both of those is this idea that there'd be a ruler who would rule, who had power, who had authority. 
And the reason why they wanted it to be the king like David was because David was the greatest king they ever had. And he everything he did was uh, beneficial to the kingdom. And it, it looked like it was supposed to look, it felt like it was supposed to feel, you know, it's sort of like when we look back on old ministry days or, you know, the way things used to be. And we sort of, Good old days. yeah, you wish it was like that. And that's kind of what the people of Israel waited for is that a king like David would come back and do the, the work that needed to be done. Restore the dynasty. Totally. And it's restore the dynasty, free us from all of the, the oppressors, that kind of thing. So this is what Psalm two, verse seven through nine says, I will de- tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. And that sounds like something he would say about Jesus. Verse 8, ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. And so when the Jews read this, they think the Messiah is coming. He is someone who has a special connection with God in some way. He also is someone who's going to actually make the nations our heritage. He's going to draw them to us. They are going to, the nations are going to want to come to us and that's going to be a fulfillment of what this looks like. And in order for him to do that, he needs to break them with a rod of iron. And so they had heard that as meaning he's going to be oppressive almost, you know, he's going to crush the Romans, crush the, you know, the, the Babylonians or the, the Assyrians, all those nations are going to be crushed by this King. And then he's going to rule them with a heavy hand. And ironically, that's not exactly how Jesus read that same passage. Uh, similarly in Psalm 110, I'll read this one too, and then we'll, we'll kind of talk about it. Uh, I don't want to read the whole thing, but it says this in verse two, the Lord sends forth from Zion, your mighty scepter. That sounds familiar from chapter two there that we just read. And then it says this in verse five, the Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter Kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment against the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore he will lift up his head. And again, when you read that, you think, man, this is going to be a strong, powerful leader who's going to be mighty. And so you can understand why the Jews might have had trouble with Jesus dying on the cross, right? And, and promising yeah. a, a kingdom that's coming, but yet he never brought a sword. He never fought. He taught love. He was healing people, doing all these things that was really below what they wanted the Messiah to be. And so they just never expected him to be what we were looking for here. And no doubt they remembered David just conquering and conquering and how strong and, and mighty the kingdom was during that time, how they were not ha- captives because of David and because of how strong he was and and how victorious. And here now, the kingdoms to be freed from are not just earthly kingdoms, but it's ultimately the kingdom that of darkness, that, right. that this new Messiah, this one from the line of David. And going back to the line of David and why it's so significant is that with this Davidic covenant in place, you know, they, they, the Jews would have to look at their history and look at the, the Solomon and, and down through the line and they're going, oh, disappointment after disappointment after yep. disappointment. And yet then there's one who comes out of that line of David who's different. He's the Messiah. He's the true king. Yeah. And you can understand also why the disciples wanted to follow this guy because he was, you know, enigmatic and, and fun to be around. And he was healing people and amazing things were happening. So you almost had these two storylines, like he's definitely the Messiah versus he's definitely not the Messiah. And what's funny is by the end of Revelation, he has done exactly what Psalm 2 and Psalm 110 said he was going to do. Did he not break the nations with a rod of iron? Did he not tread upon the nations? Did he not bring them to their knees? But he also brought the world to its knees by dying on the cross and rising from the grave, which is what we see. So the first kingdom you and I needed to be free from is the kingdom of darkness. And so even though Rome was indicative of this demonic 
you know, rulers and principalities that Paul talks about, even though Assyria was a representative of demonic forces, even though Babylon had this sort of feel of it, like this is clearly demonic, this is evil, there's something bad about it. All of those kingdoms weren't the real kingdom that needed to be dealt with. And what Jesus does is dies on the cross, rises from the grave. And we're going to get to this in Colossians in a couple of chapters. But Jesus dying on the cross destroys that kingdom completely. And so Jesus did actually do what we wanted him to do. And he does break it with a rod of iron, but it's not the kingdom that you want him to beat first. Yeah. And he, he didn't do it in the order that the, and the way that the Jews thought he would. That's why so many of them struggled to right. believe. Right. But then at the end of Revelation for him to say, no, I'm, I'm the root of David. You're like, oh, he knows that he's the fulfillment of what was said in Second Samuel chapter 7. He's the fulfillment of what was said in Isaiah when you talk about the branch of David in Isaiah 11. He is the fulfillment of all of those things. He conquered the nations by love and by sacrifice and by giving. And now God has let the world go, waiting for their repentance. And by the book of Revelation, by the time that that thing fully gets fulfilled, the nations still haven't turned, but Jesus is in charge and he proves it. And then he says, yep, I'm that guy you're waiting for. So it's kind of a neat idea. How amazing for these Jews to read about a new heaven or a new earth, this kingdom that's coming, that's like right. like none other that's described in this amazing way that we see in in 21 and 22. And then to say, yeah, it's it's Davidic. <laughs> it's the dynasty. Yeah. Only it's like you've never seen it before. Yeah, you thought David was great because he brought us Jerusalem. Check out the new Jerusalem. <laughs> this 1,400-mile tall city, and it's amazing. It's pretty cool. One of the other topics that I wanted to bring up uh, pretty briefly was, you know, you talked a couple times about city uh, in obviously Revelation 21 and 22 is about the great city. And I actually had some emails about the city. What what does that mean? What's that all about? And and this is a rabbit trail that I, I, I'm going to chase down later uh, in a much bigger way, possibly next year as we do the Bible in a year. But I want to just bring up the concept for those that are listening just to think about and what, one of the beautiful threads I see in scripture, and like I said, I'm not fully fleshing this out yet, but I'm just t- tossing it out is God builds a garden and puts humans inside of it. And the very next thing humans do after they rebel against God is they begin to build cities in chapter four and in chapter five. So you almost see this, this massive contrast between God's intention for people being in hit with him in the garden and then people's intention for themselves, which is power and city and, you know, technology and, and being able to, to rule the world. And we have strong opinions about cities, you and I, uh, that, you know, that, that impact the rest of the world. That's part, of the, reason, that out, didn't I, yeah. that's part of the reason why we love living here is that we, we don't have the hustle and bustle and we're able to just serve Jesus and do some amazing things. Uh, and I think we have kind of a city mindset in some ways, but we're not. We don't need to be in a city to do it. But what I see in Revelation 21 and 22 is actually not just uh, that humans love cities, but God actually redeeming cities. This is this idea that you move from garden to city in chapters uh, you know, 2 through 11 in Genesis. And then by the end of the story, God says, all right, you want a city? I'm going to build you the best, be- most beautiful, most powerful city you've ever seen. And it's going to be completely safe. There's nothing to worry about. The gates are always open. You know, my throne is here. I'm taking care of you. So it's kind of a neat idea. We're going to play with that way later uh, in the podcast, like I said, but I just wanted to bring that one up here. And you have sin and, and evil coming in and taking over in the garden and wrecking that. And as, that's, as they're driven out of the garden, that just goes with them and it pollutes everything and it permeates every culture and every life and and. And then to have what you were just describing now, this redemption and, and judgment on those who are evil and, 
and the lake of fire. And then there's this, okay, now there's a city. And this city is beyond understanding. It's, it's beyond what we can take in. And, and that city is going to have nothing impure, nothing sinful that will enter it. And it will be glorified by and, and illuminated by the very glory of God. And, and, and what a picture with this new leader and nothing to defile it. Full circle. Pretty cool. Oh, yeah. Pretty cool. Something I want to be a part of. And I, and I know you do, too. And I know the listeners do, too. Like I'm excited for that day when heaven comes to earth. Uh, the last thing from, from these chapters that we, we kind of talked about, kind of a few times when we were going through Isaiah, you and I talked about this a lot, just there's some themes in Isaiah that we wish, when you're reading Isaiah, there's a yearning in you that starts to grow, that you want the nations to be redeemed. You want the light of the world to be seen clearly, and you want God to dwell with his people. And if you don't see that in Revelation 21 and 22, then I think you're missing it, right? There's this idea that who, who has the, the Messiah you know, defeated finally the, the evil nations, but who's now worshiping in the city, all of the nations. So in some sense, he's defeated the evil aspects of those things, but there is no nation, tribe, tongue, or or people that are missing out on the kingdom because they've heard the Messiah's words through, through the church and they've chosen to follow him. And now they're getting to worship him forever and ever and ever in revelation 21 and 22. So there is a beautiful fulfillment, you know, whereas in Genesis 11, God had to scatter the people because of the rebellion. Now in Revelation 21 and 22, he gathers all of the people in their obedience to him and gathers them and pulls them into this, this amazing city. And then as you read, there's no, it's not that there's no sun, but there's no need for sun, right? Mm-hmm. It's kind of a cool idea. Reminds us of Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. Mm-hmm. Whoever follows me will never not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And, and, you know, we think of that as just guidance. We think of that as because we understand the idea of needing light to find our way when it's dark. But here it's so much more than that. It's, it's glory. It's, it's his presence. It's radiance. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And the good news for us, who are people who don't sleep as much as maybe other people do, I don't know that there's a need for sleep because if it never gets dark, we can probably just run and run and run forever. No more insomnia. Isn't that cool? <laughs> That'll be great. I'm excited for that. And then the last little nugget there, I talked about we want God. I wonder if pulling the shades for a nap will work when it's <laughs> glory. As shades may not be able to block glory. It might just go right through all the walls. And... Hey, God, you got some of them blackout shades? I need some. Why? No, no problem. No, no reason. You Thanks. have diverted us, Chris. <laughs> oh, yes. It's my fault. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and the last little piece that we, we just mentioned there in Isaiah is that we want God to dwell with his people. And there's a significance to the city size. And you, you read the 12,000 stadia by 12,000 stadia by 12,000 stadia. Cubed. It's 1,400 a four, miles cubed. Yeah, 1,400 by 1,400 by 40. It's huge. It's a massive cube. And then you start to go, all right, where have I seen a cube before? And this is a little nugget. Someone emailed me this week about it, and so I thought I'd just throw this into the podcast as well. There's, there's at least two other significant cubes in Scripture. And I don't know that we notice that they're cubes until we sort of go back and look through the details a little bit. But if you were to study the tabernacle, the Holy of Holies is a cube. It is, is about 15 feet by 15 feet by 15 feet. And the temple, 
Holy of Holies is 30 by 30 by 30. So they're both cubes. And then you start to notice some other passages in scripture that say things like, this is a picture of what's to come. This is a picture of what's to come. This is a, you know, Paul says, we see dimly now, but one day we will see fully. So now imagine if there's a cube and what's in that Holy of Holies in the tabernacle in the temple. It's the presence of God shining brightly. It's terrifying, right? The high priest or Moses are just scared to death to go into it. It's this really, it's like God is dwelling with his people on earth. And then you fast forward to the end of the story and, and John's holding this little, you know, I don't know. I always kind of imagine, imagine if this thing is like a cubit long, you know, it's 18 inches and he's like, measure this. And John's like, oh, this is 1500 stadia. What are you, <laughs> <laughs> you're 1200 stadia. God, I can't. 12,000. How, how much time do we have? Yeah, we it's going to take me six years just to measure the one side. What are you doing? <laughs> and so I, there's this massive cube though. And John measures this out and says, check this out. It's 12,000 by 12,000 by 12,000. And if you're a good Jewish listener, a good Jewish reader, I think you're going, oh my goodness. The Holy of Holies has now descended upon the earth and there's no escaping it, right? Whereas the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle was 15 by 15 by 15 and the Holy of Holies in the temple was 30 by 30 by 30, 1400 miles by 1400 miles by 1400 miles. You can't, you're going to not miss that. You, you're going to see that. That's like the, the, you know, the Emerald City from afar. You're going to always know where God's city is. And then God's just dwelling in it. And you go, oh my goodness, all of those pictures from the Old Testament were just a picture of what's going to happen at the end of the story. And then you go, man, I want God to dwell with his people. That's what Isaiah is asking us to think about and want. And then we see it fully, completely done. Like one very big holy of holies. It's crazy. It's crazy. Fun to think about. Yeah. So there's just a couple of little nuggets that we we had for Umbolation. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm actually bummed that we're not preaching through this book anymore. But I also, as we started, you know, preparing for Colossians a few months ago, more in depthly, I was really appreciative of only doing eight verses at a time. I don't know about you. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it seems a little bit more manageable. <laughs> and then I thought if we do eight verses at a time for Revelation, that would have taken us four years. And you can imagine how people might have lost their minds if we did four years of Revelation. That's a long time to go without sleep. <laughs> that it is, my friend. That it is. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. We will catch you next time.